0: Hi, I'm Rick Schwartz. And I'm Ebony Monet. Welcome to Amazing Wildlife, where we explore the unique stories of wildlife from around the world and uncover fascinating animal facts. This podcast is a production of iHeartRadio and San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance, an international nonprofit conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and Safari Park. The
1: Chinese giant salamander is the largest living amphibian on the planet, with some reaching nearly six feet in length. They are well camouflaged in the rushing waters of China's mountain river system, where they were once common but are now critically endangered due to habitat loss and excessive hunting. Rick, we hear about species that are vulnerable and unfortunately about ones that are endangered, but how dire of a situation is it once an animal reaches the status of critically
0: endangered? Ebony, I'll answer your question in just a moment, but first I want to bring our audience up to speed on this amazing amphibian we're talking about in this episode. Like you said, these grayish-brown salamanders are capable of reaching six feet in length and weighing as much as 110 pounds. Oh, and get this, they can live upwards of 80 years with some unofficial reports stating there was one found that was over 100 years old. Wow. We also know from fossil records that this species existed around the same time as dinosaurs some 350 million years ago. These are truly fascinating amphibians, and I am so glad we're taking the time to talk about them. And now to follow up on your question. Unfortunately, Ebony, it is indeed a dire situation when any species reaches a status of critically endangered. The International Union for Conservation of Science, or IUCN, states that the critically endangered listing or category contains those species that possess an extremely high risk of extinction as a result of rapid population declines of 80 or more than 90% over the previous 10 years or three generations, a current population size of fewer than 50 individuals or other factors. And it's worth noting that the IUCN red list does not consider a species extinct until extensive targeted surveys have been conducted. Therefore, species that are possibly extinct might still be listed as critically endangered.
1: All the more reason to raise awareness about the Chinese giant salamander. Now, the giant salamander is protected by laws restricting its international trade, yet over-harvesting for human consumption is still a major problem. What's being done
0: to help? Ebony, there are a couple things going on to help in the conservation of the Chinese giant salamander. In China, this species is listed as a class two state major protected wildlife species. It occurs or at least used to occur in many natural reserves within its range and some natural reserves even use the species as their main conservation target. There are some under human care for breeding and rearing, and it's believed to have had some success. But these projects are mainly to meet the market demand because, as you mentioned, they are harvested for human consumption. At this time, there isn't enough data to say if the breeding programs have had enough of an impact for the overall population. And it's worth noting, China has implemented an educational program to help people understand the needs for conservation of the species. But more time is needed to better understand how successful all of that really is.
1: And the Chinese giant salamander has been resilient over the years. They are considered, in fact, like you mentioned, living fossils, having seen the dinosaurs come and go. Rick, what do scientists mean when they say that the ancestors of the giant salamander diverged from all other amphibian more than 170 million years ago?
0: Essentially, Ebony, the Chinese giant salamander, they're one of three known giant types of salamander, all of which diverge from other amphibians during the Jurassic period. The Japanese giant salamander is a bit smaller than its Chinese counterpart, while North America's largest salamander, the Hellbender, may reach up to 28 inches or just over two feet in length. With the millions of years that they have been around, it has earned them the nickname of a living fossil.
1: Rick, can you expand on the differences between the various species of giant salamander?
0: Oh yes, Ebony. Although we have three officially recognized species alive today, the Chinese giant salamander, the Japanese giant salamander, and the North American hellbender, a study published in the journal Current Biology states that scientists traced the genetics of 1,100 giant salamanders and discovered that they were more evolutionarily distinct than previously thought. The results suggest that there could be at least five distinct species of giant salamanders that developed independently in isolated locations over millions of years.
1: Rick, let's talk more about what makes the Chinese giant salamander so unique, about some more of its um, unique traits. What adaptations allow for it to live
0: entirely underwater? Oh, honestly, Ebony, I think the coolest adaptation that they have for life underwater is their skin. Now, it might seem odd to say that, but you have to understand, these salamanders live their whole life underwater and they have no gills. Their skin allows for the transfer of oxygen into the body and the release of carbon dioxide out of the body, making their skin a true respiratory surface, almost like the inside of our lungs. And to help maximize their ability to breathe like this, a conspicuous fold of skin along the salamander's flanks increases the surface area of the skin through which oxygen can be taken in. This is why you will only find them in fast-flowing, moderately shallow waters because these waters are well oxygenated due to the tumbling flow of the water. That is so interesting. So
1: we start off the conversation by referencing the giant salamander's impressive ability to camouflage. Can you explain how the amphibian is able to remain relatively undetected and stay so
0: mysterious? Oh, yes, Ebony. They are well camouflaged and tend to stay very still, making them so hard to see. They are sort of this mottled grayish or greenish and brown color with a long, thick body and four stubby limbs. Their heads are blunt, almost shaped like a rounded shovel head with tiny eyes behind their nostrils. Its long tail makes up over half of its body length as well. All of this to say, it easily blends into the rocks and logs at the bottom of fast-moving water where it lives. And I'll share this as well. We have one living at the Wildlife Explorer's base camp at the San Diego Zoo. I know exactly where it lives. I know its favorite hiding spots, and it's still hard to see sometimes.
1: Giant salamanders are also known for having poor eyesight. How do they work around this
0: shortcoming? You're right, Ebony. Their tiny eyes aren't much help for seeing the world around them, and most likely serve as a way to detect contrasting light and dark areas. So instead of keen eyesight, these giant salamanders detect prey by sensing their vibrations in the water. Sensory nodes run alongside of the Chinese giant salamander's body from head to tail, enabling it to detect prey movement. These sensory nodes are so effective that the salamanders are most active at nighttime because they don't need the light to see their prey. So speaking of prey, what do Chinese giant salamanders eat? The Chinese giant salamander fills the top predatory niche in the rushing freshwater ecosystems. They will consume fish, frogs, worms, snails, insects, crayfish, crabs, and even smaller salamanders. Like any top predator of their ecosystem, they help keep other animal populations in balance. This, in turn, keeps the freshwater ecosystem healthy and well.
1: Let's move on to their behavior, the behavior of the Chinese giant salamander. They may not be easily spotted, but... Are they known for making any sounds or swimming fast or exhibiting any other detectable
0: behaviors? Well, Ebony, like you mentioned, they are primarily nocturnal and live in fast-moving waters. When I first started learning about them, I assumed that they were also very good swimmers. Truth is, they aren't very strong swimmers at all. In fact, more often than not, they don't swim, but rather go with the flow if heading downstream. And if they're heading upstream, they do a slow walk along the bottom of the stream or river, gripping and pushing against rocks with their feet, along with thrusting forward with their paddle-like tail. And when it comes to vocalizations, well, it isn't very well studied. I looked around quite a bit, and the only documentation I could find that was out there about their ability to vocalize states that they make a call similar to a human baby crying when they're captured. But it's fair to say we don't know enough about their ability to communicate underwater to know if there's other sounds they might be making as well.
1: Yeah, I read that too. That was, that was kind of sad to read and imagine as well. So what about their family structure, their family life? Amphibians, um, at least the ones we've covered so far, they may not be known for having complex social structures like some other animals. But what can you tell us about the Chinese giant salamanders' reproductive practices?
0: Well, for the Chinese giant salamanders, breeding season is usually within July, August, and September when the water temperature warms to about 68 degrees Fahrenheit. Males and females do not interact or cohabitate during other times of the year, but during the breeding season, they will. When the time is right, the female will lay 400 to 500 eggs in a string in an underwater burrow and usually goes back to her solitary life. The male will fertilize them and protect those eggs for the next one to two months until they hatch. But once they do hatch, they are on their own. (laughs) The males will go about their business and the offspring will receive no parental care. So there's not really a lot of social behavior going on, at least not that we know of.
1: Just ahead, we'll talk to Brett Baldwin, an associate curator of herpetology and ichthyology with San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. But first,
0: this. Now it's time for the San Diego Zoo Minute, an opportunity for you to learn what's new at the zoo. Now, we've been talking about the Chinese giant salamander and spotting this critically endangered species in its native habitat is exceedingly rare. But guests at the San Diego Zoo now have the unique opportunity to take a close look at this sleek and mysterious creature at the newly opened Wildlife Explorers Base Camp. San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance and conservation partners including Ocean Park Hong Kong are working toward the goal of creating a breeding group of Chinese giant salamanders. The goal is to eventually re-establish depleted populations in the Chinese giant salamander's native range, while at the same time educating the public about the conservation of its habitat in China. Did you
1: know? All three types of giant salamander produce a sticky white skin secretion that repels predators, except humans. Wildlife Explorers Base Camp at the San Diego Zoo is one of only six places in the U.S. where guests can experience Chinese giant salamanders. This large amphibian can be seen in the Cool Critters Building and is one of many species in the newly opened immersive environment. Brett Baldwin is the Associate Curator of Herpetology and Ichthyology with the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance and is joining the conversation as we continue to learn about this unique amphibian the Chinese giant salamander. Hi, Brett. Hey, how are you? Great. So as the associate curator of herpetology, which is the study of reptiles and amphibians, I'm learning, and ichthyology, which is the study of fish, how would you describe your position?
2: So I oversee animal care and husbandry of the said departments. I ensure that the habitats, uh, the housing they're in are up to and beyond AZA standards. What the public views is aesthetically pleasing, but yet also making sure that it's best for the animals too. So there's two different aspects of it. I also manage the animal moves and shipments, which we do a lot of here. And I oversee a population management of those animals, reptiles and amphibians and fish. So the reproduction of all the animals we house and care for at the zoo and the safari park.
1: So with the Chinese giant salamander and amphibians as a whole, they're said to reflect the health of the environment because they absorb the water and oxygen through their skin. What does that mean for you? What does that take um, to care for such
2: an animal? So what that means is they're like the canary in the coal mine where they're an indicator of what's going on around you that you might not know because of their physiology, their skin, how they absorb moisture through their skin. Their skin is very sensitive. So they are very sensitive to any changes in the environment.
1: So what are some of the the major factors um, contributing to the decline of the Chinese giant salamander?
2: Historically, it's been human consumption. They were acquired from the wild for many, many, many decades uh, for food medicinal purposes. Pollution has been a contributor and the habitat loss too. Building up dams, changing waterways, that has done a lot too to reduce where they live. But the main thing, even recent studies, uh, has shown that, that it's still uh, people that are collecting them from the wild because there's a lot of these farms that have been set up over the last couple of decades where they farm these salamanders in large numbers.
1: And speaking of that, um, the diminishing wild populations led the Chinese government to encourage farming of the species to satisfy the continued culinary demand for the giant salamander. But I understand that this intended solution has actually caused some other problems. Can you explain?
2: Yeah. So in theory, it sounds like, wow, that's a really good idea, bring in these animals and breed them so that there's these big populations of them but it's likely that these places are not doing the disease testing frequently and they may be housed in crowded situations also we know that there's three different lineages now of these salamanders as of recent so they could be there's a new species that they've described they know it's genetically different and then a third one also so um, there's this question whether or not it's a good idea to have these animals in these large farms and to actually release them into the wild. Because again, as I mentioned before, the amphibians are very sensitive to disease. So in a large population, it's very easy for disease to be there. And unless they're doing regular testing and there's veterinary care going on on a regular basis, and the DNA, the genetics are known, then it um, creates a different situation.
1: So, some salamanders can regenerate a tail or a toe or an entire limb if injured. Is that the case with the Chinese giant salamander?
2: It is indeed. There has been a report where an animal had a leg missing, and then after a year or so, it had another leg. Wow. It had regrown it. Yeah. So, it's thought that maybe it has something to do with the earlier stages in their life when they're younger that it's more likely that that occurs as they get older it may not happen
1: that superpower fades a bit so that's pretty cool and hard to beat but is there any other characteristics that you find to be the most interesting about the giant salamander
2: the size of it is what really gets me because we have our native salamanders here in southern california that are three to five inches long and they look so similar, yet the size difference is just incredible that they're in this very closely related, how closely related they are.
1: And how can people better coexist with the Chinese giant
2: salamander? Is there
1: anything that, that we could do better?
2: I think that it's really important that people understand how many there used to be, where they used to live and then how it got to the numbers that they are now, that's the big one. Educating the younger people that will be taking care of this situation in the future and making sure that they understand what used to be and um, how it got there.
1: And what would you say is the best part of your job? What's your favorite part of your position?
2: I work with such a diverse group of animals like lizards, snakes, turtles, frogs, fish, and that's really just a huge bonus. Every day it's different. One day I come in and there's a medical procedure that's going on with a giant Mengshan mountain viper, also from China, that's very rare, which we may be doing x-rays on it or... A CT scan on this snake and then the next day uh, maybe there's a bunch of baby turtles hatching in the incubator that we've been waiting for for three months and then the following day we're boxing up some crocodiles to ship fedex to another zoo across the country so i think that because i get to do something different every day it's just like that makes it exciting
1: thank you to brett baldwin the Associate Curator of Herpetology and Ichthyology with San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We hope you've enjoyed learning about the Chinese giant salamander.
0: Be sure to subscribe and tune in to next week's episode in which we'll bring you the story of an animal known for defying typical biological laws and has become well-known thanks to a popular online video game that involves mining and crafting. I'm Ebony Monet. And I'm Rick Schwartz. Thanks for listening.
1: If you would like to find out more about San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance, please visit sdzwa.org. Amazing Wildlife is a production of iHeartRadio. Our producer is Nakia Swinton, and our executive producer is Marcy Depina. Our audio engineer and editor is Sierra Spring. For more shows from iHeartRadio, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.